Hi, I'm James Jacobson. And I'm Pamela Lawrence. On today's episode of Dog Edition, find out what has everyone crying on airplanes. I was going back and forth to LA and I would actually intentionally go to the bathroom and just walk down the road to see who was watching this. And I would see people crying. That's in the first half of the show. In the second half, neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays those couriers from yeah okay do i keep going you got the idea i know where you're going with this (laughs) because after the storms the last week our ben and jerry's doggy dessert delivery finally made it from vermont to hawaii and kansas city i can treat myself i want to treat my dog too and now i can treat my dog with ben and jerry's so if you love dogs as much as we do pause what you're doing leash up your pup and let's take a walk we've got a lot to talk about on today's episode of dog edition hey pepper want to go for a walk pam are there certain movies that are guaranteed to make you cry well jim i confess i am a middle-aged woman and also a mother so i can pretty much cry at you know a car commercial (laughs) yes (laughs) You know, I'm not a middle-aged mother, but uh, for some (laughs) reason, I've always found commercials, especially ones with puppies and and things that can really pull up my heartstrings, and they're very cathartic, um, which is really what The Art of Racing in the Rain, the movie that we're going to talk about, which was released in 2019, is. It was advertised as a movie that would make you cry, a good kind of cry. When you see it, you will be happy and sad and filled with energy, but you're going to cry. But it's one of those good cries. I sat down with Mark Baumbach, who wrote the screenplay. I'd never written anything that made someone cry before, and I remember getting a real charge out of, like, people telling me, the executives I was working with, like, oh, my wife came into the room, or my husband came into the room and saw me crying, and I told them I had just finished the script. And you uh, you watched it on an airplane, right? I did, and I was literally bawling, and, you know, I had my headphones <laughs> on, and I had, like, a meal in front of me that I wasn't touching, and the flight attendant looked very concerned, not that I wasn't eating the food, because I bet they're used to that, but that (laughs) I was just like, just so emotionally distraught. And she said, is everything okay? Can I get you anything? Is everything okay? And I was like, yes, it's just the movie. (laughs) Anyway, I was very manly about it. (laughs) That's great. Well, Mark Baumbach noticed this phenomenon too. I was going back and forth to LA, and I would actually intentionally go to the bathroom and just walk down the road to see who was watching it. And I would see people crying. Okay, so maybe without spoilers, because I haven't seen it yet, can you give me a movie summary? You know, what is it about this movie that makes everyone cry? Well, it's pretty, it's a pretty amazing movie. It is based on the best-selling book by Garth Stein. uh, And it features this Formula One race car driver named uh, Denny Swift. Uh, and he understands the techniques needed to really be an amazing Formula One race car driver, which includes basically leveraging rain, which everyone thinks is horrible, and turning that into an asset in terms of his strategy. But the movie also, most importantly for our purposes, touches on the relationship that he has with a dog and the woman that becomes his wife and their daughter and it's a beautiful movie it's actually a movie about loss and grief Hmm. okay see where the the tears might start welling 
going into this interview, I thought for sure that Mark Bomback had to have a, you know, had to have been a huge dog lover to write such a powerful film script. You'd think so. But he wasn't always a huge dog lover. That's because as a kid, he was bitten by a German shepherd when he was like nine years old. And um, had a deep and I think justified fear of certain dogs, you know. And, uh, and my parents were, you know, Jews in New York. It was like, they just don't get dogs for the most part. And so um, we had a turtle. I don't think the movie would have had the same emotional impact if it was about a turtle. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, a producer friend of Mark's called him up and said, there's a book, The Art of Racing in the Rain, that I just read. Do you have a dog? And I said, uh, no, I don't have a dog. I have a couple of kids who've been begging me for a dog. We've been thinking about it. So Mark read the book. It did really tug at my heart, even as someone who didn't have a, a dog. And not long after signing on the project, Mark brought home a yellow lab to the family, and they named it Jagger. Uh, was this all in the name of research? Or his kid's power of persuasion. <laughs> Which I can speak from experience is very strong. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the dog in the movie, Enzo. Enzo is very significant now that the name is very significant when you see the movie. It's it's basically the name of Enzo Ferrari. Mm. Ah, back to the race cars. Back, yeah. back to yeah. the race cars, yeah. Now, I've heard that there's a Mongolian belief about dogs that inspired the author of the book, Garth Stein, to write this story. Do you, do you know something about that? I do um, because uh, I've been researching it because it's so fascinating. It deals with reincarnation um, with these Bankar dogs. Yeah, right? so these dogs have a fascinating history. And they were used by nomadic herders in Mongolia to protect livestock from predators. And then sometime during the Soviet era, which lasted, I don't know, from, you know, 1920s to 1990s, these dogs were phased out and they were all but wiped out. Um, herders were made to use firearms and traps and other methods to protect livestock. Well, the Soviet era ends and now there are all these groups that are trying to bring these bunkar dogs back because... Number one, they're a source of national pride. It's a great honor for a herder to own one of these dogs and take care of one of these dogs. And two, it's better for the environment. It's a more sustainable way to, you know, to protect your livestock as a herder. And there's this belief that these generations of dogs basically reincarnate and then in their last reincarnation, they because they have the same spirit as a human, their, their last reincarnation, they come back as a human. Now you could argue that's a bit human centric, and that maybe it's a better life to be to be a dog. I, many times I think that, but at least in the in the world of the story, that is that is certain dogs' ultimate aspirations is to is to really truly understand human behavior to the extent that that they've cracked the riddle of what it means to be a human. And I think that of the spirit sort of really implies that there's a deep connection between humans and dogs. Mm -hmm. The movie explores the possibility that maybe that's a lopsided connection. There's something a little bit bittersweet about the, the, the inequality of how much a dog can love a human versus a human can love a dog. And I think there's something about Enzo's fantasy of we will all love each other equally if I could just be one of them. But as someone with dogs, I can say that that connection, whether or not lopsided, 
is definitely real and definitely understood. Anyone who has a dog at some point assumes their dog is truly understanding what they're saying to, to them. And, and it's, it may not be verbal communication, but there is deep, deep communication happening between us. And to bring that communication into focus in the movie, the director had an important casting choice to make. I mentioned to Simon Curtis, the director, that, you know, Redford was the voice in my head. Of course, screenwriters don't usually get a say in that decision. And I think he immediately said, what about Kevin Costner? He's like, he sounds so, his voice has gotten so gravelly with age. He just sounds so wise. Well, Robert Redford and Kevin Costner do have very similar sounding voices. Yeah, they do. And they took a run at him and he said, sure, if I can record it where I live and I'm sure it was one of the easiest jobs he's ever had. I think they did all the recording in his home. And uh, it's just a couple of days of work for him. And he just lays it in. And then when we would tweak things in the editing room, um, Simon would reach out to him and say, Kevin, uh, we had to change this line to accommodate this moment in the scene. Can you re-record it? And by the magic of audio recording, next thing we knew, we had a new line the next day. And we plugged it in. Call it fate. Call it luck. All I knew was I was meant to be his dog. You saw the movie, Jim. Did the director make the right choice? He did. Kevin Costner nailed it. I love that he could literally call it in from <laughs> from home. Uh, he he nailed it. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that you know Kevin's gravelly voice would be appropriate, but it was just extraordinary. It really captured the film, and you really felt like you knew Enzo uh, through the amazing voice work. I think there's something about Kevin Costner in particular. There's a slightly um, salt-of-the-earth quality, and I think that you know kept it feeling grounded. Some of the language Enzo uses veers towards the philosophical. Remember, this film is, at its heart, about loss. And it does leave you with a sense of optimism about loss, which is very hard to pull off, you know? And it doesn't feel insincere. It feels... Very earned. So if you're looking for a good cry this weekend, this movie might be a great choice to stream. But stock up on tissues first. <laughs> mm-hmm. When we come back, we'll bring you the scoop on Ben & Jerry's new treat for dogs called Doggy Desserts. You're listening to Dog Edition. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. <laughs> no matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. It just makes me feel good in this life. And the next, and the next, and the next. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com. 
where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. Welcome back to Dog Edition. Do your dogs have a favorite treat to eat? Uh, that's a t- I, Yes, they do. They're these crazy, delicious, like, liver-based, human-grade ingredient treats. You know, normally they have beef liver. This is like goose liver, and this is like uh, uh, bison li- I mean, it's like literally the foie gras <laughs> of dog treats. But, oh, my God, the aroma, when you open the package, it it, it, is a, it perfumes the air to me, and I'm sure to Kanga and Rue. It is just a fantasy world because it smells so good, and they will do anything for these treats. So do you use them as, well, I don't know, are you, are you still training your dogs in a sense, or are they sort of beyond <laughs> okay. that? No, they're, so they're, they're all ladies at yeah. this point. And um, they really rather not go down the stairs for that last before bedtime. They just kind of like, you know, they're all comfortable. They're stretched out. They're yawning. They really don't want to go outside. So my wife has figured out that if we use these treats and say, who wants a midnight snack? They get totally, they get their attention. They know what's coming and they will not accept any other treat. it, It doesn't matter the things they used to like, the things I like throughout the day. No, for the midnight snack, it has to be this one type of treat that smells so good. And of course, it's really expensive. <laughs> of course. Your dogs have good taste. What um, Do you always call a treat a snack? Is that the word your dogs know? Or I think, they, I think they're getting so smart that they understand even more vocabulary like, do you want? Ah. <laughs> um, and then I think the word midnight snack is code for... It's nine o'clock, which of course is late for us. It's nine or ten o'clock, and um, uh, and and it's time to descend the staircase uh, to go outside. And uh, you may not want to do it, but if you come downstairs, you'll get a midnight. Do snack. they get a midnight snack at any other time of day? Would try not to do that <laughs> because then that would corrupt the process. <laughs> They're training us, though. I think Genga is very good at training us to do it. My, for my dogs, it's cookie. You say cookie, it could be a carrot, it could be frozen peas, it could be a piece of cheese. It doesn't matter. As long as you say cookie, they're they're happy. They know. They yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Kanga, Kanga studies the language very carefully. She like will look at you and go. I, 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 this goes back to the reincarnation thing. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if the art of racing in the rain has it backwards. That it's basically. If you're a really good human incarnation, you come back as a multi. <laughs> well, put a, put a percentage on it. Would you say she's like 80% human at this point in her dog life? Is she almost there? <laughs> I think, again, I think she's evolved. Yeah. Like if it, To me, it seems, and this is why there's this theme of like reincarnation in so many movies that I find a bit appealing. Uh, she just seems so knowing and so wise when you look at her into her eyes. And this is not the case with Rue. So it's not like every dog has this, yeah. but Kanga has this like very human quality that um I've noticed actually with dolphins sometimes. Mm. Uh and they, they have it's like a really like this is a wise soul. 
And so I would like to think at least maybe that maybe Kanga um, has a lot of humanness about her and is is basically like incredibly content. I mean, this is a dog who lives a pretty darn good life, gets to go to the beach. She's she's a a happy dog. (laughs) So she can command us with her eyes. And then when that doesn't work, she'll have to resort to our bark. I love that she speaks in full sentences. That's impressive. (laughs) She understands. And, you know, as yeah. we talked about last week, she watches TV. Oh, my gosh. That's a, that's a habit of, on mine I'd like to break. I, you know, we say the same thing about one of our two dogs, that she's an old soul and she's, you know, she really understands and connects. Mm-hmm. The other one the other one just needs a lot of attention. It's a little different. <laughs> okay, but getting back to treats. There's a new treat out from Ben & Jerry's, the ice cream folks. And it's for dogs. But don't call it ice cream. So doggy desserts are a frozen treat with a sunflower butter base. So there's very limited dairy in them because dogs can't digest dairy very well. We went right to the source for our information. That is Lindsay Bumps, who is the global marketing specialist at Ben & Jerry's headquarters in Vermont. She sent some of the new doggy desserts for us to try. How'd it go with your dogs? They loved it. Now, they love the ceremony, of course, because I was going to videotape it. There's a video you should check out. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, they loved it because it was novel, and um, I don't think they've ever had a frozen dessert before. And thank you for documenting this for me. Let's hear how it went. Clearly, you haven't had ice cream in a while. Kinga. This is not, this is not, um, do you have a preference? Kinga has a distinct preference. Oh, actually, no, it's changed. You know what? It's all good. But I think she really likes the one with pumpkin and cookies, which is Rosie's batch. Do dogs get uh, brain freeze? <laughs> That's a really good <laughs> question. Um, I think that the problem is... Um, it may be brain freeze, but it's also a texture that they're just, to- at least my dogs are not familiar with. Well, it sounds like it was mostly a success. It was amazing. Uh, they love the taste. Good. I was hoping to give some to Fudgy and Pepper, but I couldn't find it in the stores around here. It's not out yet. You know, it's that new. I even tried the big Ben and Jerry's ice cream shop in the Haight Ashbury neighborhood in San Francisco. No dice, but. But Amy Thomas's, who is part of our team, uh, is in the Midwest, and she got to try it with her two Boston Terriers. Who wants ice cream? It comes in two flavors. Ponch's Mix. Which is a peanut butter and pretzel base flavor. And Rosie's Batch. Which is a pumpkin and mini cookie based flavor. So was there a clear winner for your dogs? Mm, They liked them both very, very much. (laughs) Very very diplomatic answer. (laughs) It's true. They, they, you know, they they seem to favor them both. I would imagine. I think they, they, you know, they put a lot of uh, research and effort into creating the flavors. That makes sense. What I love about Ben & Jerry's is that they usually have such creative and funny names for their Mm. flavors. Did you get the scoop when you talked to Lindsay Bumps on how the doggy dessert names were chosen? I did. Lindsay told me that Ben and Jerry's is obviously a very doggy-friendly place up there in Vermont. And before the pandemic, she would bring her Frenchie 
named Spock into the office. I have an office with a dog door that goes to my coworker's office, who also has a French bulldog, Ponch the Frenchie, who actually has one of the two doggy dessert flavors named after him. There was a company-wide contest to pick the flavor's names. Any employee could nominate their own dog. They submitted their application and had to do a little write-up as to why their dog should have a flavor named after them. The Frenchie, Ponch, won, and the other winner was Rosie. She's a Husky Doberman mix, and she is an office canine to fiver as well. So like I mentioned, we have tons of dogs in the office. And all those canine to fivers got to be the first taste testers for Ben & Jerry's doggy desserts. That must have been a fun day at the office. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Well, typical for Ben & Jerry's, they wanted to be diverse and inclusive in the flavor naming process. So we have a big dog and a little dog, a male and a female, a purebred and a mixed breed. So now I'm dying to know, did you taste it, Jim? Mm, of course I did. Uh, first of all, they're all human-grade ingredients, which is awesome. I love to feed my dogs only things that I would eat myself. So, And this, these are human-grade ingredients. I did. And uh, they taste really, really good. Okay, then. Catch me at the dog park sharing a scoop with my dog, Pepper. If you are comfortable sharing a spoon with your dog, do it. It's delicious. It's made from the same ingredients that we use in our human quality products. Uh, all of the ingredients are human grade. I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Rawr, rawr, rawr. Thank you for bringing Dog Edition along with you on your walk today. We will be back with another episode, but chances are that you and your dog will be taking a walk between now and then, and so we have something else for you to listen to. If you're interested in hearing more from some of our guests, please check out DPN's sister show, The Long Leash. This week, you can hear my extended conversation with Mark Bomback. And take Dog Edition along on your dog walk next week. We'll hear the story behind Dogs on Deployment from its co-founder, Elisa Johnson. She and her husband, Sean, founded the nonprofit to help active duty military members find foster homes for their dogs while away on deployment. It's going to be living in the barracks and going to be in the, the field doing marine things for six months and I couldn't care for my dog. Uh, at the same time, um, my husband was deploying so he couldn't care for our dog. That and a lot more on the next edition of Dog Edition. Dog Podcast Network is for dog lovers, by dog lovers, and that means we want to hear from you. You can check the show notes for links and information on how to reach us, including our old school recorded listener line where you can call in to share your dog stories with us. Call 866-TALK-DOG. 866-TALK-DOG. We are also looking for correspondence as we grow this podcast. And if you're a content producer or a journalist or anyone who likes to write and loves audio and also loves dogs, please check out our 101 Dog Stories contest with over $15,000 in prize money. You can learn about that on our main website, dogpodcastnetwork.com. And join our pack. Be sure to subscribe to Dog Edition in your favorite podcast app and tell a friend about the show. I'm Pamela Lawrence, and I'll see you at the dog park. And I'm James Jacobson. I want to thank you for listening today. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, we wish you and your dog a warm aloha.
Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.